Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. Even people who are trying very hard to seek and accept the absolute truth in some huge field will sometimes try to avoid some uncomfortable details about truths that they don't happen to like. And I spent, as I keep saying, 50 years of my life, yes, that's not an exaggeration, studying an amazing amount of evidence and trying to ever more deeply understand what happens at and happens after death. And there were two big areas I tried to ignore. I didn't want to know anything about negative entities, no demons, no nasties, these these non-transitioned beings that roam the world without a body and basically just make trouble. I didn't want to know anything about them. I tried to ignore them altogether. Also, there are some people who've gone off track at death and just haven't completed their transitions. I didn't want to know about them either. I assumed there were very few of them, and frankly, I didn't want to know about it. And then a couple of years ago, I met today's wonderful guest, and I learned something new and amazing. Actually, our friend Mikey Morgan has lately told us that close to 25% of the people who transition will go off track at least for a time. Most of them are rescued fairly soon, but still I find that a flabbergasting statistic and it's such an indictment of modern culture. Our culture keeps people so ignorant about what actually is going on. Between religious leaders who make people afraid of hell to scientific gurus who insist that we blink out like a light so don't even think about it, there's almost nobody except, you know, you and me who's teaching people what actually happens at death. So people are confused, and rightly so. And when you're confused on your deathbed and you die, you get often get lost. And then, of course, you're really confused and you really do have to be rescued. But what I didn't realize until very recently was that there is a class of people who die at what are not planned exit points and under circumstances that make them actually, for various reasons, not want to transition or not feel worthy of going to God. Two years ago, a little over, I discovered that there really, really was something new for me under the sun in this area after all these years. I met Father Nathan Castle. He's a Dominican priest who lives and works in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson, which is a lovely place. I just love, I love Tucson and I love the University of Arizona. But it's, it's hard to imagine anyone who is a more traditional Catholic than my friend, Father Nathan. But Nathan Castle is also a gentle and spiritual man. And just maybe 25 years ago, he was recruited by elevated people, not in bodies, to do spirit rescue work. Before I met Father Nathan, I knew a lot about spirit rescue work. I even had experimented with learning how to do it myself under the tutelage of the late, great rescue expert, Bruce Mowen. But to be frank, I never for a moment thought that the Catholic Church, where I spent so many decades of my life, would ever sanction and bless something like spirit rescue work. Then in 2019, I read Father Nathan's first book called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. And I was amazed to find that everything in it is completely, completely consistent with what I had learned in doing decades of afterlife research. And it is blessed by the Catholic Church that I love. And I have to tell you, it makes me feel a lot more kindly toward it. This is Father Nathan's fourth Seek Reality appearance, and I'm so glad to have him with us. Welcome, Nathan. I'm so glad to have you here. Well, it's good to be with you, my friend. Thanks for inviting me again. Um, For people who haven't heard your story, please just briefly tell us a little bit about how this got started. Well, I... I think of it in two parts. It got started by being born into a a lovely family that practiced our Catholic faith and explained it to me in ways that made sense to me. And uh, I was around great adult uh, teachers, Uh, my parents, both of my dad's aunts, my, both of my aunts, my dad's sisters were Dominican first grade teachers. They belong to the same order that I do. My grandmother next door was a, a Catholic mystic. 
So I kind of grew up wow. uh, in an atmosphere that made it easy for me to see the connectedness between uh, this life and the next. And, um, and see them as really a continuation as a oneness and not so much this and that, but just a, a continuum. And then af long after my childhood, I, you know, I did become a priest. Uh, I entered the Dominicans 42 years ago now. Uh, and about 25 years ago, I had an experience uh, of receiving content in a dream that I knew was not my own. And it was from a traumatized soul who had died a fiery death and was angry at God and wanted help. So that's how this all got started. Somebody came to me uh, in an uncommon forum, but after all, dream communicate spirit communication in dreams is long attested. Every religious tradition has some experience of that. And and so you do have had it's clear to me that you are quite psychic. You have you have the same kind of gift that a psychic medium would have. Uh -huh. And and this is commonly running in families. Do you know of other people in your family who have this kind of gift? Both of my sisters do. I have uh, two brothers and two sisters, and both of my uh, my sisters have gifts of this kind. They're, of course, they differ, but there also are similarities. They can help me in this work. Uh, and then my grandmother, uh, if the others do, uh, they're supportive of what I do, but um, I'm not aware of them having, you know, particularly psychic kinds of gifts. So you, when we're going to talk about how this is done and, and, and just how it works, although it does seem to be kind of unique for each person, it's very much tailored to the person that you're helping or the group of people that you're helping. But, but first, just, just briefly, so you had this peculiar dream and then you reached out to spirit to try to solve the problem of whoever it was you were dreaming that you were that was in trouble? Yeah, so we're talking about the first one, but now there have been maybe about 350 since then. So wow. I have a system down that I just get kind of uh, not doing, I'm not doing it that differently than I did at the outset. It's just what seemed to be common sense. I wrote down the content of the, of the dream. I immediately said a prayer to that person and said, I'm Nathan, I, I received, I think, what you just tried to send, and I'll be with you uh, shortly to see what we can do to help. So I write it down, then I schedule an appointment with a prayer partner. Uh, and sometimes that's a, a can be a week or two out depending upon people's schedules. You know, this is not the only thing any of us are doing. And then when we do get together, it usually takes us a, a less than an hour, maybe about 45 minutes to help to get to know a person and help them cross. By the time you get the dream, their guide, uh, whoever's helping them in spirit has, Help, has coached them and brought them to a point where they want to cross, right? I mean, it's this That's is something right. that isn't immediate. It, it's something that, that they have to grow into. Yes, and we are certainly not the whole show. We're, we're, we, it seems to me we're at the end of a healthcare continuum going all the way. They all died, all of the people that, that my partners and I helped died sudden, violent, traumatic deaths. Right. So that's already a small percentage of the population that dies of a, of a violent trauma. Yes. Uh, but of those, there appear to be some who need extra care uh, and and they receive it uh, according to what their need is. And as they get healthier, if you imagine going from, you know, collision on the highway to an ambulance, to an ER, to maybe surgery, to yeah. uh, all the way to the end of a process where you're healthy enough to leave the hospital. I think of myself and my partners as the discharge staff who help people. Oh, yeah, that's on, beautiful. Go on to that's... the next thing because they don't really need the kind of care that they've been receiving and they're ready for something different and better. One of the things, and and I just to, to connect what uh, you've just said to with what we what we know uh, on our end, um, the most people die at one of two or three exit points that they've planned into their lives. So you don't plan it consciously, but your higher consciousness plans them and chooses which one to take. And it's a very orderly process. And then what happens after death is also a very orderly process. But if you are murdered, if you fall out of a tree, as one of these people did in this book, if you, if you um, have some kind of, you know, an auto accident, any kind of unexpected trauma that kills you, um, that's not a normal exit point. So there you don't have the usual 
process set up to welcome you to the next next level of reality. And um, then you can kind of wander and get stuck. And in some cases, they don't want to go either. They're, they're, they, they're, I remember there was someone who had terrible guilt. Um, he, uh, he was not living a life that he thought God would approve of. And he was he was afraid to go to God. He there there are other people um, that that just I mean children are sometimes really confused and they get help. Um, but these are always people who have died, as you say, in this kind of a traumatic situation. And from our perspective, that means they didn't have deathbed visitors. They didn't have anybody to help them cross, and so they got stuck. Um, but they obviously had their guide there. Do they tell you anything about the people who are helping them there? Well, we often end up talking to the guides. Uh, just, just for clarity, um, you and I don't share exactly the same cosmology. What you just described about uh, exit points and so on is not in my worldview, although I'm respectful of listening to it. I just try to stay in my lane and do my job. Uh, <laughs> what I'm uh, trying to do is help people see that what you are doing is, is just the same. It's it's all the same. Sure. Um, what what happens is something circles with lots of people who have very diverse ideas about the universe and our place in it, and our sure. origins and destiny, and all of that. And and I, I like for when I have an opportunity to speak to audiences as you're giving me today. I I just tried. I I came from a sociological background. And so I try to observe and report what I observed. Yes. I try to keep it at that. I, I try not to go unless I'm asked into speculations that go beyond the data. That's just my training. I, I think it's important too um, to stress that you are doing this within the framework of the Catholic Church. This is not something you haven't gone rogue. You're not uh, doing anything that your your um, superiors would disapprove of or have disapproved of. And that to me says a great deal of positive stuff about the Catholic church, to be frank. Well, I'm a Dominican and our motto is truth. Uh, and truth is something that we can both possess and seek at the same time. Your show is seek reality. Yes. Some, I, I think of professors who in the, in the morning on a class day are expounding on true things to, to, to students and teaching truths. And in the afternoon they can be in the lab studying things that they don't yet know. Uh, and both of those yeah. are wrong. So, um, but I think I got off your question. <laughs> no, that's, all right. that's all right. I mean, I, I do think it's important to stress. Um, and it was, to me, it was like a miracle to find that someone who was not just a practicing Catholic, but a, a Catholic cleric of, um, of for his whole life had been approached by beings not in bodies to set this up. And also, um, is what he's doing is something that his superiors approve of. Well, that I probably haven't said that to Nathan, but you bowled me over with all of that because I didn't expect it of the Catholic Church, and most people don't. And I, I think it just it speaks well of the Church that whatever needs to be done to help people who need help, whether that's before or after their death, the Church will help them do or will try to, to help them do. It's good well, for you. When, with that kind of, yeah, I have a vow of obedience, but it's a specific vow. It's not to the entire universe. It's to my brotherhood and to its leaders. And, yeah. uh, and that makes sense because they're the ones who know me and have lived with me. And so somebody else might have an opinion about me that, that is disapproving, but they, if they consult my superiors who know me, they might get a different uh, story. And so so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so great. You've been doing this for 25 years or something like that? Yeah, but I've only been really public about it for about three. But yeah. uh, but mostly I've had I've been well-received. And the church has a long mystical tradition. And yes. the mystics in every, in every lifetime, in every age, had some uh, challenges with regard to whether they were believed or tolerated or uh, approved of. And uh, for heaven's sakes, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, you know, he gets <laughs> crucified. Uh, you, you, you can't follow him and not, you know, and, and expect it to tickle all the time. If you know. No, no. Um, and, and, and I don't think it's possible. I, at this point, I have to say, I don't think it's possible when you really know Jesus ever to turn away. So um, I'm not that's something that's something I'm going to go more public with a bit later on. But I, I've uh, been wrestling with 
I, I don't think I'm Catholic anymore, but I have to tell you, um, I feel much closer to Jesus than I ever have. And maybe that's all part of, we all have our own little life plan, Nathan, and that's probably part of mine. Well, remember, and, Catholic means universal and you haven't left the universe. You're still here. <laughs> that's true. So let's talk about, so you, so you got into this and you start, you discovered that there were people that that had gone off track, as you say, that had been they had had a, some sort of a traumatic death. Yeah. Um, the, well, the purpose of the prayer partner is to talk to these people so that you can step back and be the counselor, kind of. That's how it looks to me. But how do you how would you describe it? Well, the way that it first played out is um, I was at the very first one that's described at the beginning of Afterlife Interrupted, the first book. There's two of them in the series now. Yeah, uh, the, the prayer partner that I was with, I knew had a gift for allowing speech to move through her. That gets called um, channeling uh, yes. in common parlance. I avoid the use of that word because in the Catholic Church, it's radioactive. But it's <laughs> I think it's uh, it belongs to the charism of prophecy. Yes, and I knew that I had that charism because it had manifested twice earlier in my life, although only two episodes out of about 45 years. But I knew I had that gift, you know, in the in the background. Um, but I went to uh, to my friend who I was with that night. Uh, we were on a retreat together. So when I woke up in the morning, I sought her out over coffee and said, "Could we could we go into prayer about what the, what this was?" And she she uh, permitted him to speak to me. So I was on the receiving end of his speech, and we worked out what he wanted and was seeking and so on. But then in in subsequent ones, uh, I've got with prayer partners who would listen to someone speak through me. And that's what the way it works most of the time. Yes. But it's a, well, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you've had several, haven't you? You've had, I don't know, three or four. Uh, what three or four, what? Prayer partners. Oh no. I'm trying to remember the names from your books. Oh, probably more like 20, but uh, <laughs> really, yeah, I don't remember that many. And, well, and there've been more um, during the pandemic because I've had to use Zoom. Oh, um, right. Of course. Haven't been able to be together in the same room or travel was dangerous and so on. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me, so that there are really a lot of people who have helped you with this, which is also wonderful. Yes, there have been. So, and you coined the term interrupted death experience, which I noticed you've trademarked. It's even your, it's your term, which I think is great. I mean, we're all familiar with near-death experiences and um, we know deathbed visions too. And, and, uh, um, Raymond Moody coined shared death experiences for people who go a little way when with the person who's dying. And now we have interrupted death experiences, which I yeah, think is I brilliant. Wanted, I wanted this work to sort of uh, sit alongside uh, the work of Dr. Moody and, and others. Yeah. And I, I took the long term with it. You know, I'm 65 now. It's the oldest I've ever been. and <laughs> That's unusual. This and, is your very oldest <laughs> Yeah, it's my, I, I, sometimes people will say happy birthday. I didn't say it was my birthday. I just said it's the oldest I've ever been. Oldest I've been. I love that. Um, I'm going to remember that. But I'm, I'm trying to leave a, a good record. If anybody ever wanted to do a scholarly research of the work that my partners and I have been doing, I'm trying to leave a good trail, an organized trail. Good for you. Um, and and I think because I think it has lasting value. It's not just about the moment. I think we, you know, for scholars that want to you know, cobble together different experiences. Anyway, I, you know, Dr. Moody had had coined uh, the phrase near-death experience all the way back in the mid-70s. Yes. After life. And I wanted this to sit alongside it. And if you follow the basic idea of a near-death experience, it seemed to have some common themes of leaving the body, being aware that you're outside the body, but still sensate. Yes, and that famous one of a blind person being able to see when they were out of body and then blind when they went back. Of in. course. Yes, um, of course. So that that sensate thing uh, and uh, the, uh, the often described tunnel or a, 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 uh, approaching some sort of attractive light, uh, encountering persons one uh, in one's family or religious figures and all that. I wanted it to sit alongside that story but to not be a person who nearly died, a person, but who actually did die. Yes. So yeah. that's why I coined that phrase. That, that's the big difference. No one who has a near-death experience has actually 
died and gone to where the dead are. These yes. people have not been yet to where the dead are, but they are, their body has died. So they're kind of stuck in this limbo for a little while. Um, but what strikes me is just how, and you, you explore a whole new area, which, which no scholar in this field has known about, um, how much help is given to these individuals according to what they um, what they need and what they ask for. But it's a very polite kind of help, a very respectful kind of help, quite amazing, even if it's children. Um, there, was a, there was a group of children who had all fallen. Um, yes. And, and they sort of found one another. A lot of them were together and um, they were treated with such, does it strike you? I mean, nobody ever says, oh, kids, how would you have been so silly as to climb that tree? Nobody says that. There's such reverence for these people. Yes. And in fact, that's that story is in book two. That's uh, Bridget, who I called not dead, just bouncy. Do you remember? Yes, that? I love that one. Yes, yes, she yes. Was, she was 10 years old at the time of her death. And she was in a place where everyone in the place had died in a fall, but they weren't all children. They were of all ages. But um they sought her, somebody got to her, and when it was time for me to do that, that crossing was, uh, once in a while I get one that's a big group. And then everybody in this sphere is eligible to cross that day if they choose to, but nobody's pressured. Yes. And, uh, when I get one of those, I need a spokesperson. And so I ask who will speak up, and she was prodded and said, uh, and th then she came on and said, you know, I don't think I'm the smartest one here and I I'm not volunteering myself. I'm really being urged to do this. And so I'm only doing it because I'm asked. Yes. And, if we, and if I say anything wrong, you know, I'll turn the mic over to somebody else. She was very humble about it. Yeah. Uh, as a 10 year old, she said they've all fallen and they all feel like they're on the bottom and, and that they broke when they hit the bottom. Yeah. That's what we all have in common. And she said, they, they've brought around bouncy houses, you know, those inflatables that you yes. see children's birthday parties and, right. and trampolines so that people could start falling again and, and laugh when they hit the bottom. See, isn't that beautiful? Don't you think that is simply beautiful that that kind of help is that we're, these are people who have died in, in the fall and they are being treated. Um, they're, they're being given the chance to have a little spiritual trampoline or bouncy house so that they can fall safely and feel comfortable about falling again. What and, does that tell us about then, God? That's she beautiful. had to teach them about uh, the fact that they don't have bones that break or blood that gushes out of wounds. So if you fall now, there's nothing to break and there's no blood. So yes. Get over it. <laughs> if you fall again, it won't be like the last time. But it's just so wonderfully respectful of their feelings. There's this is so different from what most people um, that contact me anyway really think about death. They think it's going to be sort of draconian, and it's the opposite of that. It's so tender. It's so I, respectful. You know, it's been 25 years of my life now, and the stories are blood curdling. All these, all these murders and car accidents and things. Uh, right. But they're all buffered. I'm, I never wake up screaming. I, I just receive information. And yes. I deal with it in a rational and compassionate way. But yeah, it's, they, they're, it's inspiring work. Sometimes uh, people will say, oh, you have to deal with all, as a priest, you have to deal with all this death and funerals and stuff, doesn't it depress you? Or hearing confessions. It must be really hard to hear people one after another come in and confess all kinds of stuff. And I said, no, it isn't at all because it's about the truth. And seeing people walk into the light and live in the truth is inspiring. Oh, yes. No, I, I love working in the field of, of uh, after death because it's all such good news. And those people have no idea how good the news is. So, yeah, you work in probably it's the most fun anyone could have doing what you're doing because you're helping so many people. And it's all good news. Yeah, um, it's great fun. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know most people think we're silly, but it's true. It's the best fun anyone could have, I think. To be and and sometimes the angels come through. Their, their guardians often help me. And I've, I've gotten used to asking for the guardians to help right out of the gate, to give clarity to, you know, after all, it is a dream. And yes. dream language, you know, can be symbolic and you could misread the symbols. Or, you know, sometimes I just don't know the person's gender or their relative age or their nationality or something. So I sometimes 
want a few of these little markers just because it helps to when you're yes. meeting someone new to have a, a little bit of a frame of reference. How long ago did they die? You know, or something like that. And the guardians often will come on the line and kind of playfully introduce themselves. Um, honest to God, I had one recently who was in, he moved into me because I permitted it. And they don't have gender. I just said he, but they're, you know, they, they native gender is not native to them, but they choose one just to make it easier for us. And I, the, my prayer partner wanted to know a name so she could call the art, the guardian by name. And he, inside he said, I want her to call me Jake, but not from state farm. <laughs> well, that's, isn't it funny how they have our cultural references? Don't you think well, that's odd? This one was so fun. And I said, well, I told my partner, I said, it wasn't the angel speaking yet. It was me speaking. I said, I'm translating. <laughs> I'm relaying a message. This one is playful and wants to be known as Jake, but not from State Farm. And but then it's, uh, it's so hysterical that they know something like that. They well, I, just, I can tell you a little bit of background in that one without just, I, I don't have permission from that, that soul to tell their story, but I can at least tell this part about the angel. I was, I, my best friend is a retired priest who rented an Airbnb and invited me along uh, for a, a long vacation this summer. Uh, and during it, I had less work to do. And so I was caught up on, a, I usually have about five or six souls in line waiting. You know? uh -huh. uh, and this, I was, I had the leisure and I had some prayer partners that were available to me in the place where I was. And we got the backlog taken care of. Uh, so the, the line was moving fast. So this, yeah. this angel said, what well, we appeared to have come at, at a, propitious time because we were told the the line is moving so quickly you don't need to go away you can just stay here well my friend and I are both baseball fans I'm used to Astros and he's Boston Red Sox and we were both watching games almost every day and then it happened to be that the little league world series was on tv at the time uh -huh. so this angel comes through and he did speak and he said he was describing us to the prayer partner and said these two men they watch baseball almost every day on these small screens on an iPad and a, and, a, and a computer. And then he said, and on the large screen, they watch children play baseball, the Little League World Series. Yes. And, but whether they're watching on the small screens or the large one, the ball game is interrupted at regular intervals by Jake from State Farm. And Jake, <laughs> he explained the whole thing. Jake from State Farm is under, is uh, everyone he encounters is under the impression that they're be being given rates available to no one else that are very favorable. And then he just, so funny. Them. <laughs> he just abused them of that and assure them that no, everybody gets these rates, and that's why oh, that's so, that is so hysterical. Isn't it funny? An angel going into all that detail, but he said, oh. well, for right now, it was paying oh, attention. He's paying attention to all that detail. They all get this. He learned story. all about Jake from State Farm, and he said, So oh. just call me Jake, but not from State oh. I I just I can't get over how much these beings that have not been embodied for a long time. And really I'm no cultural, sometimes cultural uh, relationship at all with this time. They nevertheless really are good observers of it. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you be, if you're going to be in a place, you know, I guess. why not look around, <laughs> pay attention, see what's there to see. My, anyway. my primary guide died early in the 19th century from his last earth lifetime. And he, um, uh, he was a politician then. And he he made jokes about how uh, just think of what they would say to me if if it were if it were now what they would say about me uh, in their political ads. He was focused on political ads for oh, heaven's sure. sake. Sure. Well, it, you know, it is strange. Great big strange. universe we're in. Yeah, but it's it's part of because they love us so much. They they want to relate to us, and if this is what you're spending a lot of your time doing. They want to do it, too, and understand it well enough to be able to sort of have you relate to them in a way that was comfortable for you. Yes. And um, they're delighted with the uh, when the day arrives that the one that they uh, have have followed through a whole human lifetime and through an afterlife uh, hiatus of some kind. They're delighted that this is like graduation day. Yes. So that's the same joy yeah. that your parents might have had when you walked across yeah. the stage and got your diploma. It, it, it feels like that to them. It, it, it's a long-awaited day. And but, everyone, each of us has at least one. Through life, we have a spirit guide who has been that attentive, loving, and caring yes. of us. 
Yes. And it's just, a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. What a system. Oh, my God. And whether the person knew that or not, uh, they everybody has what I call a guardian angel. Um, yes. And many of them were not believers in any such thing, but they just, or even that there would be an afterlife. But then they're in it and they, it's undeniable. <laughs> whether I believe in an afterlife or not, I'm in one now. You are, yes, right. There's no way to deny it. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then there's, there's one... Um, um, Jesus appeared in one, and I can't recall the details now, but it was because someone was especially ashamed of, of how he had died. Yeah, that's so Jesus came and commiserated with him and, and shared that he had had an embarrassing death too, which I yeah. thought was so amazing to that have that happen. That one is one of the most, there's 13 stories in each of the two books. Uh, and that one is uh, Dwight, who's in the first book. Right, uh, Dwight. I remember he had an odd name. Right, right. Yes, and he uh, he had he was a young Catholic guy, probably about twenty two, and he had a persistent uh, homosexual uh, urge orientation that not only was toward same sex but toward um, uh, S and M. Oh dear. And he, yeah. but he'd never experienced it. But the 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 yearning for it or something uh, was very consistent and he decided to indulge that and it was his first ever attempt to meet up somebody for that purpose and uh he went he did what he was told to do stand in this place and wait for go down that hall and go in that room and and then when he was joined by a a, a sexual partner that he had never met the man killed him and I I, by tying him up first or, or he allowed himself to be tied up and then the man, instead of cutting him with some little knife or something, plunged sharp objects into his lungs, and uh, oh. so he was. He went. He he said, "Had I uh, he he was he was outed as gay and as interested in S and M, you know, by his death. So he was yeah. ashamed of his you know his coworkers, his parents, everybody he knew learned his secret, and he just in the afterlife he felt like uh, he needed to run away." He needed to go find a place to yeah. hide. And yeah. so yeah. he tried to do that, but he ended up in something like a hospital bed where he was getting care that he needed. And he would wake up occasionally that like people might do when they need to sleep a lot. Uh, and somebody would be there to fluff the pillow and say hello and tell them they're okay. But it turned out that he yeah. was coming as a hospital chaplain. Uh, and eventually after repeated visits, eventually he said, uh, did you ever see a crucifix? And he said, well, of course I did. I was Catholic. And he said, well, I was the guy on it. And, and then he said, I, I, you should know that I was naked too. There wasn't any little loincloth covering me. Uh, yeah, that's, that's historical. Yeah. yeah. And then he said, um, and, and they plunged sharp metal things in me too. So we have that in common. Um, Isn't that amazing? And he said, and, and don't worry about uh, being embarrassed because my mother saw me that way. Yeah. And so did her women. I friend had that happen too. <laughs> that, that, the, the shaming was public and intentional. And, and you right. know, uh, so anyway, Jesus was able to just say to him, you know, we're, you know, it's all good. <laughs> just, just continue to heal. Isn't, isn't that beautiful? I, the, I'll tell you, that's a reason to buy your first book. That's where it is. Your first book. That, that yeah, was one of the most affecting right. stories I have ever read. I, it's as you can see, it never left my mind. Yes, um, there's another one like it that is also from a, a a Christian person who had specific ideas about what the afterlife would be like. He's in the second book, and he's I call him um, John the Baptist. His name isn't really John. Did you, do you know that story? I don't remember it, um, but I, I had I read the second one more quickly than I read it's the first one. I could, a small I had, Southern church that had Baptist in its name, but that was not formally a part of the Southern Baptist Convention or any other body like uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. uh, had Baptist in its name, and they really did baptize in the river. Uh, yes. Wherever they would have the occasion for a baptism, they wouldn't even meet at the church. They would say next week there's going to be a baptism and we'll meet at the river. Right. And he absolutely loved being in the river baptizing. That was when he was in his, his glory. And uh, a, a, a man uh, asked to meet him down by the river for counsel. And so he went there and the man uh, drowned him. Uh, and it turned out that he was uh, actually uh, 
the pastor's wife's lover. Oh. Uh, so it was horrible. It was awful. That's why we he's we don't use his real name. Um, but that was he 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 entered into the afterlife not knowing what had happened to him or why. Yeah. And then when he did, when he began to understand more, he he had all these people that were helping him, and they he kept he asked him, "When am I going to get to see Jesus?" And they had to explain to him, "Well, remember the Holy Spirit. He entered into all of us." And you've been seeing him all along. You've just been seeing him in the persons of all of us who are helping you. But so he said they had to take me to Christian preschool and remind me of something so basic that Jesus in the hearts of all uh, his beloveds. And you see him. That's why on those stories on Easter morning, somebody like Mary Magdalene, who's known him for years, looks at him and thinks he's the gardener. He's the same, (laughs) but different. And so he had to be reminded that he's the same, but different. And, but then he was also told, but if you want to see him that way with the toga and the beard and the sandals and the halo, that can be arranged. We'll get you ready for that. (laughs) But that's how precious we are. That's how much we are treated with reverence and grace and love. Um, That's the thing that most strikes me about the whole process um, of, of death in the afterlife. It, it's all like that. Yeah. And there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, this is going to be fun. Absolutely. Um, and the, in the first book, um, there's a story called Help Your Brother, Johnny Castle. Do you remember that one that in, involved Patrick Swayze's sister? Oh, I, I think I do. I remember Patrick Swayze was mentioned. Yeah. Well, that one came through St. Rose of Lima, who's a Dominican. Uh, uh, and a mystic. Uh, she's the first saint of the Americas, actually. And uh-huh. she, uh, she brokered this thing. My, my, my younger sister has a devotion to her and to the people of Peru. My sister used to raise alpacas. And she went to Peru uh, out of respect for the alpacas. She said, I don't want to fawn over these exotic animals without caring about the people <laughs> of the country. So she went there and did dental uh, assisting up in the mountains of the Andes where people died because of bad teeth. Uh, She she had a devotion to Rose of Lima. Rose uh, interrupted her prayers and said, help your brother, Johnny Castle. She wouldn't stop. She, uh, Catherine went on the internet to uh, type in the name Johnny Castle and up came Patrick Swayze. That was his character's name in Dirty Dancing. And he was dying in Stanford Hospital where I worked. Uh, and I, I was a chaplain there and I couldn't get to see him because he, he I had I could only go in a room where I was invited and he didn't know me but it was his sister that needed help and in the course of it St. Rose came through and um, the reason I, I'm saying this is St. Rose is talking to one of my partners I'm reading she's saying um, this work that that Nathan and you were doing goes to the heart of something so simple and basic. It ought not to be complex because it's just the Easter joyful message. Jesus is risen from the dead. And when that's well understood, he's the first fruits. We all take part. There's nothing simpler or more basic. It has offshoots, but that simple message tells everybody that they are just as important as Jesus. We're all sons and daughters of the light. We're all part of the one father. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I've never heard anybody say, uh, "Roberta, you're just as important as Jesus." I know, isn't that isn't that amazing? Sure. But that's that comes from Jesus. That is how Jesus loves us. I mean, he he says, as you know in the Gospels, "You'll do the, these things I do, and even more things you'll do yes. than I do." And if you go with um, the idea of God the Father, if does, does God the Father have a golden child is Jesus's favorite and all the rest of us are (laughs) something of a lower order. If we're all children of the one creator, well, then we're all loved magnificently equally well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that strikes me when in going back again and looking at the second book is that the people were so were really not treating themselves very well in some cases, but um, but we're always being treated with such reverence. And, and uh, you know, all of us, as Jesus says, you know, sit at the lower place, but then the, the householder will come and take you to sit at the higher place because that's how special you are. And it's true. I mean, we tend to 
not to to realize or celebrate the fact that we are so much loved yes. by the Godhead. I mean, by by all that is and is real, is true, and is love. It's just, I don't know. I love what we do, Father. I just really do. I enjoy it so much. You never run out of work, good work to do because there's no, always- No, no. And you probably too hear from so many people. I do nowadays, every day. I hear from people who are um, disillusioned, um, upset, frightened, um, desperately grieving, all the things that- that are that's like the, it's the worst time of your life when you either lose someone or you have a, a serious illness and you, and you can help them just by helping them understand the bigger picture that most of us have no idea of the fact yes. that we are and eternal it's been exacerbated by the pandemic and uh yeah. particularly before vaccines were widely available at least in the places where they are i know there's lots of parts of the world where they're not widely available but um people had were 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 hunkered down and more isolated than ever before. And so the internet has been one way where people can, you know, reach out without uh, exposing themselves to a deadly virus. And so uh, over this last year and a half, I've had a whole lot more on, I have a, a file that I call my online church. I, I, those emails all get, you know, get filed to the online church after I've dealt with them. A lot of times people just need pastoral counseling. They've been listening here. And I try to tell them, you know, I'm the tow truck driver. I'll get you out of the ditch if you want out of the ditch. Uh, but I'm not going to follow you down the road. You know, it, uh, I'll help in the short term. I'll do a couple of sessions, uh, you know, on Zoom or something. But if you, but I want you, if, if you really need a confidant or a long-term counselor, I want you to go find that person because they're nearby. Yeah, Somebody's that's good. I, I should probably say that too. I try to, but I don't get probably the most heavy duty problems, which I'm sure you do. Um, well, I get some. And right now I feel a little bad because I have a sort of a backlog there. Uh, I, I think we're both busy people. And sometimes I'm, yes. I'm not as prompt in responding as I wish I were. But then on the other hand, I have to be kind to myself too and just put in a day's work. And even if the work's not done at the end of it, well, I have to give that up and you know rest well. Father, I get up in the middle of the night and work on it. That's that's how much I'm behind. Well, you're a better person than I am, except I have my night shift. You know, I never know when I'm going to get a full night's sleep either. Well, let's see. No, it, this is a wonderful, this is a wonderful thing that you do. I'm so glad, glad that you're my friend and we'll be doing, are you going to do another book? Are we going to have another one of these? I think so. Uh, they practically write themselves now. Uh, yes, but, I can see I, that. I, uh, and by the way, the second book just became an audible a book, an audio book, just uh, about 10 days ago. Oh, that's great. That was a, about a you know, six, eight months work that uh, finally crossed the finish line just a few days ago. That's great. And, and everyone, I do recommend, there are two of these books. They're called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over, except in the second one, he crossed out the stuck because they all get unstuck sooner or later. Yeah, and, and what are, I realized is not, not everybody was really stuck to begin with. They were just in the place they needed to be that... that um, they were getting help. They were yeah. getting the help they needed and they didn't really need to be called stuck. Uh, so yeah. I, I crossed through that on the second book. But the beautiful thing is that your books read so easily and so enjoyably. You write light stuff about which are pretty serious subjects, I have to say, but they feel happy. It's a bunch of vignettes about people who are not in bodies, but they're still very much people and the interesting times that they have. Um, and eventually uh, there was there was one woman, um, her her sister, she, she wanted to to fly home and her sister oh, yeah. was was be dressed up as a flight attendant and to, to fly her home. I mean, it's just all this fun stuff these people are doing and we have no idea. Yeah, that was Claire. The, she's there in the second book. She was murdered in her home. Uh, yeah. You would think that'd be a pretty awful way to go. But um, her guardian lifted her up between the roof and the uh, trees. And she said, he, he told me to pretend I was a dog that went swimming and shake off what just happened. Yes, yeah, that, I remember that. And, and but the thing is, he also said right away, you will notice that you don't have those infirmities. She was very old when she died. Yes, yeah, you're, you're not gonna be uh, ill or tired anymore. He, yeah. she, 
she got on his back and she compared it to tandem skydiving. She said, I would never in my life jump out of a plane on someone's back, but he offered to take me on a ride on his back and I did it. And, and then she landed in a place where her sister uh, showed her sister had died decades before. And she said, I've been talking to her picture for years. I would love to see her again. And she, they didn't, they weren't called flight attendants in the early fifties. They were stewardesses. Yes. And they had to be thin and had to wear these little sexy outfits. And this one had, and had epaulets and she, she was at the top of one of those uh, staircases that you used to have to go onto the tarmac and climb up into the plane and dressed yes. in this little, you know, sexy little outfit and with an umbrella drink waiting for her sister. <laughs> I remember the umbrella. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, there is so much more fun to be had at, uh, where they are than where we are. We, we tend to take life way too seriously. And that's part of what's fun about your books because nobody is, you know, everybody is sort of trying to be happy and enjoy every minute. And that's the way our, that attitude is, should be more common, frankly, in this well, world. Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's like graduation day for these people. Yeah. It's a celebratory moment in their lives, even though it has this, um, you know, momentousness about it. Uh, yes. Still joyful at the same time. Oh, my dear. Well, we've come to the end of our time. I'm really sorry about that. And is there something that you want people to take away from today? Um, it's all good. You know, whatever you're having to move through, um, just move through it with grace and call out to God's spirit any way that you know how to do it. There's not a wrong way. Uh, and ask for the help you need. Receive love, magnify love, give love away. No, I love it. <laughs> exactly right. Well said. And then uh, my website and that kind of stuff. You want to do that now? Yeah, it's, it's nathan-castle.com. Yeah, nathan-castle.com. Yes. And if uh, if people want autographed copies of the book, like for Christmas gifts, I've been telling people they're not offshore on a boat in Southern California. <laughs> I actually have them. They're right here in my oh, house. Oh, my goodness. I could, I could autograph <laughs> one for you and send it to you and you'd have it for a Christmas gift. So if anybody wants to do that, they just need to if go to the website, nathan-castle.com. And in the upper left, there's one of those little envelopes that's for writing me an email. And I'd be happy to help with that. And as I say, it's a fun book. So this is one of those that you could enjoy and just you learn a lot from it. You don't even realize how much you learn because it was so much fun. Yeah, and then people tell me that an audiobook, they can do that while they're walking the dog or exercising or commuting, yes. whatever. And so those are, are easily available on Amazon too. Everyone, once again, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, and I'm so glad you were with us today. Never forget, please, that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, you never will end. When you get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest is going to be Craig Weiler, who will be speaking with us for the second time. Craig is a parapsychology journalist, a speaker, and host of the popular blog, The Weiler Psy. When we spoke with him a year ago, it was about his wonderful book from White Pro Books called Psy Wars, Ted, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. I thought the book was terrific. <clears throat> but this time, we're going to talk about something which is, to me, a very current problem, which is debunkers. Why do people deliberately try to set up lies about what's actually going on? Why do they do it? How do they do it? How can we start to counter all the damage debunkers are doing to innocent people and to the whole world every day? Because what we talk about here is true. And if it's true, people should want to know about it. But let's talk about what we can do about the debunkers. Please join us next week and be part of the war for the truth. And this week, we've been enjoying, frankly, I think a wonderful time with my dear, beautiful friend, Father Nathan Castle, who's been with us for the fourth time. Father Nathan is one big reason why I haven't quite given up on Catholicism altogether. Amazingly, his superiors want him to encourage him to do this wonderful priestly work of facilitating the rescue of people who have failed to complete their transitions. Father, and this, of course, this is not this. There, this is not exorcism. These are not 
demons or any negative entities. These are just people like you and me who died in a way that made it hard for them to get to where they're going to go. And Father Nathan is part of the rescue team that helps them to get there. All so beautiful. He's been a Dominican priest for more than four decades. He lives and works in a community of Dominicans at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And he continues to do this work. He is such a beautiful, gentle, and as you saw, very spiritual man that uh, this said this he's been doing it for more than 20 years. Didn't he say 350 people he's helped this way? Quite remarkable. He was chosen by spirit to do this work. Those beings who are not in bodies, the higher level beings know our hearts and to be chosen as he was is the highest honor I can imagine. Father Nathan coined the term interrupted death experience and he's written two terrific books one more time, I'll say their title, Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Souls Crossover. Father Nathan is a pioneer in a whole new field where the need for help is great. And frankly, I think he, he is an absolute delight. I enjoyed him so much. As you know, I have a, a nonfiction books as well, um, Liberating Jesus and Others, but uh, we we, we've run out of our time. We really don't have time to even talk about what they are, but you know what they are, and they're all on Amazon. They're all on audio as audiobooks, except that one children's book is, uh, is of course, just a beautiful picture book for kids who aren't quite reading yet. If you want to talk about any of my books or anything at all, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email as long as you've given me your correct address. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net and realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeart, and everywhere else. So um, if you can't find it, just let me know. But I'm told you can now get it wherever you can get any kind of podcast. And many people now tell me that it's easiest to listen each week on the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in our the iTunes app store. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you, our powerful, eternal being, and you in particular, are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.